Welcome to the NLO Patent Case Law Podcast. In this series, we will be exploring recent developments in case law from the European Patent Office and National Courts using the expertise of the patent attorneys at NLO. Join us to explore the interesting and surprising world of intellectual property. Hello, my name is Nadia Freeman. On today's episode, our first of the series, we'll be looking at the interesting and somewhat fiery story surrounding the Pepper case, or to give it its official name, case G3-19. Biotech and plant breeding have always been important and contentious IP issues in Europe. Right from the start, the European Patent Convention, or the EPC, exempted plant and animal varieties, much to the delight of plant breeders. The EPC also ruled out essentially biological processes from patenting. But at the time, no one knew what these processes were. Even more striking, no one knew whether it would be possible to patent plants or animals bred in this way. In the last years, the EPO's Boards of Appeal have addressed these questions in a number of high-profile cases with colourful and evocative names such as Tomato 1, Broccoli 1, Tomato 2 and Broccoli 2. Now the enlarged Board of Appeal is apparently spicing it up by turning this all around with Pepper Decision G3-19, which may have an impact far beyond plants and animals. With me to talk through the issues and consequences of this interesting case is our NLO expert Dietmar Hetzen chemical engineer, biotech expert, and trainee patent attorney. We'll also be hearing later on from Bart Swinkels, a partner and European patent attorney at NLO, for his personal take on the case. Welcome, Dietmar. Hi, Nadia. So I wondered if, first of all, you could give us a little background flavour. So let's rewind a bit. What was the patenting situation for plant and animal breeding in Europe before this all started? Sure. So... In general, if it's alive and kicking, uh, it really doesn't want to be caught in a patent claim. (laughs) Patenting life in general has always been a very uh, contentious issue, especially uh, in Europe. And there's this whole whole scale of possibilities. On the the one hand, if you look at um, inferior life forms, such as uh, microbes and viruses, well, inferior, we're... uh, The world has come to a standstill because of them, but nevertheless, (laughs) um, if we look at them, there's this consensus that, okay, you can do patent-wise basically anything you want to do, uh, and it's okay. On the other hand, if you look at humans, um, we dare not touch them in a sense. So patenting surgery as, as such is, is not, um, not allowed in, in Europe. We've, we've come mm-hmm. to that balance. But then there's this whole scala, this whole continuum between, of course, like medical devices, uh, things like that, uh, drugs even. What do we do with them? And for a lot of them, we've come to the conclusion, we've reached the consensus that it's okay. They are eligible for patent protection. But right in the middle, there's this uh, very peculiar niche, but very important field of uh, breeding, um, both plant and animal breeding. Um, And there are stakeholders who really want to obtain patent protection for certain animal and and, and plant uh, breeding programs. And on the other hand, there's the, the public uh, and breeders themselves who want to uh, keep it out often. So there we have a, a balance that has, has to be reached. And from the very start, when you look at the European Patent Convention, uh, from the very start in 1973, it really exempted uh, plant and animal varieties. So you could not, uh, could not patent them simply. Right. So does that mean there's no way for plant or animal breeders to protect their new varieties then? 
Well, you'd say so, and that is generally uh, true if you look at uh, patents. But of course, patents aren't the only um, IP tools out there. Mm -hmm. So besides patents, there's a whole, I mean, you've got copyrights and trademarks. Another very important right uh, are uh, plant breeders or variety rights. Uh, Ah, okay. And those, they exist besides patents and give breeders rights to their specific varieties. Um, Now, okay, this kind of contradicts the things that I've already said, because, I mean, there's a huge uh, lobby against or, or there are like really good reasons not to be able to protect plant and, and animal varieties. Uh, but the thing here is that these breeders' rights are very different from, uh, from patents. Uh, and one notable exception or notable difference is the what we call the breeders' exemption, which means that if another breeder takes uh, your plant or your animal and breeds it into a new variety, they're out of the woodwork. Uh, they can do, I mean, they're not covered by your initial protection of that uh, variety anymore. And that is not true for, for patents. Um, so there there's more a, what, would, what we could call a, a dependency system. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you protect something, chances are very high that everyone who will r- develop that invention further would still be covered by the original one, which would be very detrimental to, to breeders, of course. So what, what is the problem then? Yeah, you think that there's no no problem. So these are totally distinct systems. You got <laughs> patents on the one hand and these breeders' rights on the other, and they don't uh, they don't clash at all. Now, that is true. So the EPC, the European Patent Convention, says you can't patent or protect uh, varieties in Article Fifty Three B. But there's also something else in there. It says that you can't obtain patent protection. You can't patent essentially biological processes right now no one really knows what these are um (laughs) this is like in in some way a a european uh thing so if there's no uh, real consensus about this or something you write it in a in a way that is apt to some confusion and you hope that in the end uh like case law or or time will will settle it Uh, not so much for this one so we, we didn't really know um, fully what essentially biological processes were, which was one, is one part of the confusion. And another one uh, is that you have to doubt, we do not know, whether plants and animals that are bred via these essentially biological processes, whether they would be uh, covered by such a patent. And that is, I think, the, the key uh, confusion that, will lead or has led in the end to this this pepper case so where taking a bit of a step back where do these colorful cases like tomato one and two and broccoli one and two come into play well actually let's rewind a bit let's start with the basics what are tomato and broccoli about yeah so in a no, no surprise there. So the EPO's uh, frying pan has been well oiled over the years. <laughs> They've come out with all these very colorful uh, names. Um, and I mean, they're, these cases are really about what, uh, how the title sounds. So they're about certain plants and the question, are you able to protect these uh, plant uh, varieties? Tomatoes, broccoli, mm-hmm. peppers. Now, there was this Article 53B, uh, 
or at least part of an article, um, who said that you can't protect these essentially biological, pro you can't protect these processes, but there's still doubt about the, um, about the plants themselves or animals, but most case law has been on plants. So what happens then is that, of course, uh, certain patents, uh, which are initially granted, uh, they, get, they get attacked by third parties, and the EPO has to really take a stance on this article. How should we uh, interpret it? Now, what happened in this case is that in the first generation of cases, so this, uh, the tomato one and the broccoli one, they kind of confirmed this, uh, this article. So you can't patent the uh, the processes. So we're still talking about processes here. Yeah, yeah, but right. it didn't really yet um, lay down the final brick on the the plants themselves. What can you mm -hmm. do to them? So and the that's products. where, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's where the second generation then really, uh, really stepped in, um, of course. And like the tomato and broccoli one also clarified a bit um, what these processes actually were, although mm -hmm. there were some already some. It had been written down already, but really confirmed what are these biological processes. And in, well, in short, it's basically anything you do when you take the full genomes of, of plants and cross them in a, in a sexual way by, and let it follow by selection. You take out the best varieties, then you're still working on an essentially biological process um, such as breeding and, and crossing, even if you do some human manipulations in, uh, in between. So I think, so tomato and broccoli one really kind of nailed down the processes, but still we have this question about the products. Yeah, that's indeed, a, th that's the hot, uh, hot issue. <laughs> the for, issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there have been some, some earlier case law and that, that was on, on animals even. Uh, so there was the, the famous uh, uh, Uncle Mouse Harvard case. So T1990, where bit of a similar situation. Uh, so someone tried to patent a, a mouse, basically a modified mouse. And the question was, um, does Article 53B rule out the fact that this mouse could be patented? Mm -hmm. Now, clear that the process of obtaining that mouse couldn't be, uh, but the animal itself. And there the EPO, um, clearly ruled or, or said in a not as, as definitive ruling, let's say, uh, but they, also, they, all, um, they already gave the direction that the mouse itself could be patented. Um, it, nowhere in the law does it say that the, the mouse itself would be exempt from patentability. So in that case, the product was applicable, it was patentable. Yeah, indeed. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's what then was followed in the, the landmark cases, really, in 2015, where you have the, the, the broccoli and tomato too. Right. And there, I mean, the real, this is the case law that is often cited, um, where they really try to protect these plant and animal varieties. Well, in this case, plants, evidently. Um, and they, they ruled that this Article 53B only exempted the processes and not the products. So you could still obtain protection for them. And, and mind you, this is, a, this is an important one. It doesn't, like plant varieties are still ruled out. But as soon as you do an invention that is more 
that is not limited to one variety and oh, it has okay. applicability to, to a larger group of, of animals or plants, um, then this, this wording of 53B doesn't apply anymore to, to the products, to the, well, it's a demeaning term actually, mm-hmm. but to, to the plants <laughs> and animals themselves. But in, in this particular case, the Enlarged Board of Appeal clarified how Article 53B sorry, should be interpreted. So in, in that scenario, doesn't that mean the problem is solved? Yeah, you'd absolutely think so. So that's, uh, <laughs> this is the way I mean, we, we, on a daily basis, uh, act. So we, there's some unclarity in the law or some new technological in, uh, in invention that has happened. Um, so the, the stance of the EPO or the interpretation of the law is not clear. So we just wait for the EPO or the, the Board of Appeal to, to settle it to give us some idea on how they would rule. And if that would not work, even the courts on the national level or the, uh, the, the Court of Justice at the, at the European level. Now, mm-hmm. in, this particular ca- in this particular case, there was this case law. So it converged. We thought this is the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then you saw the same dynamics, which initially led to the, uh, the, the biotech directive, but also to the specific exemptions in the EPC. Um, come into play. So you got people who were very active in, 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 in lobby groups, in the European institutions, this whole, the whole machinery of Europe, let's say, uh, which is a, one, one actor in the, the European democracy, really tried to r- turn this around. Because what we had here was a ruling that said that a plant can be patented, or an animal for that sake, which is not the most a popular deci- decision with uh, with some, uh, so breeders weren't uh, weren't too too satisfied, and then biotech on the other hand was, but the European Parliament wasn't because they wanted to rule out rule it out from the very beginning, uh, but when the biotech directive was drafted, it yeah th- they worded it in a such a way that it was not very clear, so they shot themselves in the foot, um, but here they are and they they want to turn the interpretation around and align it with their initial way of uh, drafting the, the biotech directive um, and to a sense also the EPC. So, so wait a second, up until now we've been talking about the EPC and the EPO. What does the European Parliament and the Commission have to do with this? Nothing, everything, something, everything's connected to nothing <laughs> and vice versa. It's like, right. <laughs> That's yeah, clear. I mean, this is... I, I'm a Belgian child uh, with a with a German name, um, so I'm like Europe is a complicated thing, um, mm-hmm. and even if things are not connected, like li- really explicitly, they are. So really, to sketch the framework very briefly here, like the European Patent Convention, that framework for patents in Europe, is not connected strictly to the European Community, to the European Union. So there are two, like separate things um, on the other hand breeders rights well there is a, a community breeders rights uh, which pertains to the European Union so the EPC the patents and the European Union are separate things yet a large majority large chunk of the member states of the European uh, that, that subscribe to the European Patent Convention well, they are, of course, in the European Union. So there's a huge overlap and no formal ties. 
which is, I mean, this is a recipe for, uh, for uh, lobby work and, mm. uh, and, and disaster, of course. Uh, so, and th- this is what, that's what, what basically happened. So the European Parliament got, uh, got a bit upset. And what they, what they did is they basically forced the European Commission to send out a, uh, to send out a letter, essentially, uh, European Commission notice in November uh, 2016 and they really urged everyone who wanted to hear that the biotechnology uh, directive and hence the, the EPC in a sense uh, should be interpreted in that way that plants cannot be uh, protected so 53B should be interpreted in a, in, in a broad way I mean so they were putting putting in some putting on some pressure. Yeah, because they have no formal uh, they have no formal way of, of enforcing it. I mean, it's a it's a different uh, different thing. Um, and then the administrative council of the EPO, which okay, so we jump now from the from Brussels to Munich, and Christ. in Munich they were yeah, listening. Indeed, they were they were totally open for this, and they introduced a a rule like Rule Twenty Eight Two. And this rule clarified that the article. 53b should be interpreted in this broad way that it also exempts these plants and animals from from patenting and that is an that's the interesting one here that they they put they introduced a rule and they didn't just change the article because for an article you need a unanimous vote and if in Europe there is one thing either in Munich <laughs> or in Brussels one that thing is hard to acquire. Indeed, it's <laughs> unanimity. So basically, the administrative uh, the administrative council effectively turned around tomato two and broccoli two. Is that what we're saying here? Yeah. Well, that was their goal. Um, right. They didn't really, really succeed in the very beginning. Uh, so everyone was was annoying everyone basically. Right. Uh, so the administrative council tried to put an end to this uh, to tomato and broccoli two by putting in this, this rule, 28.2. But then a, a case of uh, the company Syngenta popped up about pepper plants. And this is where we get into uh-huh. the, ah, into this pepper. issue. <laughs> and, and, and there, the same question rose. But then the Technical Board of Appeal, so let's call it one um, rung below the, the enlarged Board of Appeal, they said, okay, we're not th- this rule. It is just in, in violation of the articles, so we're not going to look at it. Articles prevail. That is that is written in stone. Articles right. prevail. Bottom line, yeah. Indeed. And since the rule violates the article, we're going to look at the article. And the article has been interpreted in tomato and broccoli too. So we're going to do it that way. Okay. Um, I'm imagining this didn't go down super well. No, that this, no, no indeed. Uh, that didn't, uh, didn't go down well. <laughs> Uh, so the European Parliament, the European Commission, like this whole uh, the whole machinery wasn't very pleased with this decision. Um, but of course, it's I mean it's the way things go. Uh, it's not. There's no rule that case law should uh, should converge and that in the end everyone has to agree. I mean it's in general it's the course things go, but it wasn't in this case. Uh, now what happened in in response is that the administrative council, which at this point. I mean, clearly had a stake or was willing to to limit, oh, sorry, to to broaden the the interpretation of that Article Fifty Three B to also say plants are excluded and animals are excluded. Um, they sat uh, together with the uh, EPO's president, 
And what he did is take that pepper case, which we're talking about, which was at that stage still a, what we call a T case. So it was in, had been in front of the technical board of appeal. Um, he referred it to the enlarged board of appeal um, to get a, well, in theory, he can only do that if there is divergent case law. Now, we could be a bit naughty here and say that there was no divergent case law. The case law diverged, uh, converged, sorry. Um, the circumstances around it diverged. So that is another uh, theoretical discussion. But whatever you want to say about that, the, the president, he, um, he gave the case away. He referred it to the Enlarged Board of Appeal to have a, uh, a final say on this issue and hopefully to, to bring these tomatoes, broccolis and, and pepper cases all together. So whatever his motivation, the president got involved. Um, so now we have tomato, broccoli and pepper. Quite the soup, as you, as you suggested. How did the Enlarged Board of Appeal then solve this puzzle? Well, they did it in a 70-page document. They really tried to tie all these uh, difficult uh, knots together, uh, making it even more complex. No, they, they really tried to converge it into uh, a definitive uh, ruling, which goes on for 70 pages, but which I think can be, I mean, has three takeaway points here, uh, which are very important. The first one is that that referral by the EPO's uh, president uh, is admissible. Like, not discussing whether there's any divergent case law or something, it is admissible. That's mm -hmm. not the point of the conversation now, but it is an important point, nonetheless. The second is that these plants and animals obtained by essentially biological processes are excluded from patentability. Mm -hmm. So Article 53 needs to be interpreted in a, in a rather broad way, in line with the admi uh, Administrative Council's uh, way of thinking, and the third point is that that Rule 28.2 has been valid retroactively in a sense, meaning that it has been active since the day it was introduced, which was wow. on the, the 1st of July since uh, 2017. So since then, it's valid. Yeah. yeah. And then the, well, the, the question is, this is all, okay, these are the conclusions, but there is some burden upon the Enlarged Board of Appeal to give a, a reasoning for it. I mean, they can't just pull it out of a thin air or a hat or something. They, they have to glue it all together. And one of the key elements here is that they said, okay, this Article 53B, indeed, it does not say that plants and animals can't be protected, or at least not those resulting from essentially biological processes. But this article, it, it really depends on how you interpret it. And we could look at classical ways of interpreting it, like very literal grammatical ways, or we could think a bit about the reasoning behind the claim, uh, about the, the article. That's one way. Or we could have a more lenient, a more pragmatic, or as they call it, a dynamic interpretation of the law. And there, they suggest that the introduction of the rule has, this rule 28.2, has change the landscape around this Article 53b, which gives it an, an, another interpretation. So that's their way of trying to, to glue it all together and rationalize the somewhat uh, divergent interpretation 
of that article from the case law that existed up to that point. So basically what you're saying, the key element in this whole case is a dynamic interpretation of the law. Right. Okay, well, thank you. I think you've given us a really great foundation on this particular case. I think this is a really good point to bring in Bart Finkels to the discussion for his perspective. So for our listeners, Bart is an expert in the field of biotech specialised in plants, and he has written and co-authored multiple articles on this specific issue. And I think he's going to have a lot to say. So Bart, hello and welcome. Thank you. Uh, glad to be, uh, to be able to join you. We're happy to have you. Um, so as an expert on this particular area and case, I'm really intrigued what you make of the Pepper decision. You know, what does this change for biotech companies? Or to put it simply, what does this mean for a breeder who wants to protect their plants? Well, I'm sorry to say, but for breeders who want to protect their plants, it is now one complete mess. <laughs> a soup, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or... Uh or a chopped salad or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the, the, the point is that actually this decision uh, has created a lot of uh, legal uncertainty for breeders who want to protect their plants. And that has everything to do that uh, we are now, we, we're now dealing with very bad lawmaking, a law that is uh, difficult to interpret. Uh, and, and I'll try to explain that. Um, why that is the case? Well, f first of all, um, as you know, uh, we're talking about uh, protection of plants as products. But what we are now excluding is plants which were produced by an essentially biological process. So um, we can still uh, protect plants as products that were produced by a non essentially biological process, but only plants that were produced by an essentially biological process are no longer patentable. So that's a really and important that, distinction there. Yeah, because it's important to realize that, that plants that uh, are produced by a technical, so a, a non-biological process, they are still patentable. And the problem that we now have is that in real life, it may very often be impossible to distinguish once you have the plant in front of you whether it was produced by a technical process or whether it was produced by an essentially biological process so what what this this legislation so the rule 28 in the new dynamic interpretation of article 53b does is that they actually turn a product claim to a plant into a product by process claim and it has long been uh, the, the standard practice within the EPO that a product by process claim is allowable, but because it's such a complex claim, uh, very special uh, criteria have to be met. And these are not met in this case, and because one of these criteria is, is that the process feature is able to make a distinction between uh, whether the product is made by a particular process or not. And that's, as I explained, not the case here. For instance, if you have a plant with, that has a nice uh, new trait, for instance, it has a long uh, shelf life, for, which can be important for tomato. And uh, it, it does so because it has a, a single point mutation in, in one specific gene. Then, in theory, it's possible that this point mutation was deliberately introduced by a breeder, by modern 
technological means, but it's also possible that this was a spontaneous mutation that occurred in nature and it was selected by conventional processes. So you can't distinguish those two. And that is one, one of the reasons why I say that the, the breeders of today are now facing a mess if they dare want to protect their plants. Well, another uh, reason why I'm saying that it, it's a mess is that um, this, this uh, point of the essentially biological process that uh, is now being excluded. The problem there is that we now currently have three different definitions of an essentially biological process that are being used in the EPO. The first one is uh, actually the one that was uh, defined by tomato broccoli one, where you have the, the, uh, any process where whole genomes are, are cross, uh, crossed and then selected, regardless of whether there are additional steps. The second one is the one which actually comes originally from the biotech directive, but which is in the, in the EPC in rule 26.5. And that's this definition that such a process consists entirely of national phenomena, such as crossing and selection. Uh, and then we have the third one, which was actually newly introduced with this new rule 28.2, uh, exclusively obtained by an essentially biological process. And, and if you looked at uh, the, the background of how Rule 28.2 came into existence and such preparatory documents are used to, uh, to interpret how you should interpret an essentially biological process, then it's very much restricted to, to uh, uh, technical processes still being allowed. So we have three different definitions of an essentially biological process. And uh, I believe one can truly question which self-respecting legal organization would allow for three different interpretations of one and the same term. How will that ever create legal certainty? And well, this is one of the reasons why I say uh, we're in a mess right now. So you, there are different kinds of plants. It's not clear what the definition is between those different kinds of plants. Uh, and then it's not clear either which one you can really protect and which isn't. So if a, a breeder would step up to you right now and, and ask for your opinion, like, should I get a, should I pursue patent protection even for, for my uh, plant varieties? What, what would you even advise? I think one of the, um, my questions back would be, well, how did you, how did you make your plant? And, and if, if the plant was truly made by a technical process, then I, I would still go ahead and describe how the plant was made. Uh, because another issue is that one of the ways uh, the EPO, uh, as they have now introduced in the guidelines, uh, wants us to deal with this issue is that you can still uh, claim, uh, get a product claim on a plant as long as you include a disclaimer on an essentially biological process. And there, we, we, uh, I'm see, I'm, I'm, some people thought that this, this late and late, latest uh, pepper decision would be the end of the story, but um, there will be a lot of discussion on how such a disclaimer should be worded, in which circumstances it is mandatory and which it is not. So we are going to see uh, other case law developing there and, and, and possibly even referrals to the enlarged board of, uh, of appeal again. So this is by far this is not the end. Yeah, and 
so if you if you surf around the net and you look at all the uh, the blog opinions which have been uh, ousted, um, what do you think about the underlying issue? So I mean, a lot has been the talk in the town has been mainly or, or primarily about this um, the 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 power balance between the administrative council, the boards of appeal, the EU. Uh, how do they all interact now? Is this a new world? Yeah, I think this is a new world, and and I I see uh, parallels uh, in the rest of the world where we have autocratic leaders like Trump, uh, uh, Aragon, and you name them, uh, who don't really care about uh, the rule of law and the separation of powers, and who who don't really care but that a court is there to interpret the law and uh, that they should abide by the court ruling. Um, and th that is what you see here, here too. Uh, I believe it, it was, uh, let's say there is a political will to change the interpretation of Article 53B, or then the proper way to do this in a, dem dem uh, a democracy where we have the rule of law uh, would be uh, to change Article 53B itself, and that requires a diplomatic conference between all the member states of the EPC. That would have been the proper way where we would have control of parliament over how the new law is legislated. But the way it's been done now by uh, Rule 28 that's been forced uh, in by, by the Administrative Council who overstepped their authority, that is very clear. Uh, and that the, the, the enlarged board of appeal um, uh, allowed this to happen in the latest Pepper decision, in my view, is a sign that the, the current enlarged board of appeal is, uh, well, basically not as independent as it should be. I'm, I'm convinced that if we still had the chairman that was chairman of the board of appeal, uh, the, the previous chairman of the board of appeal, uh, Wim van Eyck, who uh, also gave the ruling uh, in, in tomato broccoli too, then we would not have had this decision. And then uh, the technical board of appeal decision in the Pepper case would have been upheld. And and so it would be back to the drawing board for the legislators and to, to do it in, the, in a proper way, uh, changing Article 53B. Or an alternative would be for the EC to change the, the biotech directive, uh, because then EPO will follow if that is changed. Right. So essentially what we're saying is that it's going to require all of the member states coming together in a diplomatic conference and reaching a consensus, which by the sounds of it is pretty unlikely. Yes, it, that would have been the proper way uh, to do it. Uh, unfortunately, that has not, is not the way how it has now uh, happened. And I, I guess uh, we, we see this now for, for biotechnology and the patentability of plants and animals, but similar uh, issues may come up, for instance, in software patenting where uh, we, we are also dependent on, on the pol politics. Yeah, I think the cogs in, uh, in Brussels and Munich will need some, uh, some more oil to get to that point. <laughs> um, great. Well, thank you very much, Bart. I think we've uh, got plenty of food for thought there. So, Pepper, clearly a case with a lot of wider-reaching consequences that have the potential for some significant and long-lasting changes. I'd like to thank both of my guests, Dietmar Herzen and Bart Swinkels, for their thoughtful and thought-provoking contributions. Thank you for listening and join us next time on the NLO Case Law Podcast. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and share with anyone who might find it useful. 
And for more interesting articles and information on patents, trademarks and designs, please head on over to nlo.eu.